and welcome to the Weekly Scroll Podcast brought to you by the Adventure Archive. My name is Ryan, and with me today we have John Hambone McGuire uh, of 321 Action RBD, which we're going to be talking about later tonight. How are you doing, John? I'm doing great, man. I'm doing great. Well, one of my dearest friends is turning 40, so she decided to throw a prom for her 40th birthday party. So I'm going to a prom tonight, uh, of all okay. things, but like a prom for adults. So it's pretty good. Pretty, pretty I didn't go to my I didn't go to high school prom, so I don't know what high what prom for adults would be like. So, uh, no one's gonna get popped for drinking, you know. Well, there no you one's go. trying to spike the punch, you know. The playlist is gonna be infinitely better. Uh, no one's renting a limo. People are calling Ubers. It's the modern world, as it were. There we go. So, so John Hambone McGuire, where does Hambone come from? And do you prefer to be called John Hambone? What what? Where are we at with that? Well, how blue can we work on the show? <laughs> you wanna know where Hambone came from? Uh yeah, whatever. You know what? It's it's interesting because I've been Hambone since I was 20, 21. There's been various different versions of of Hambone and incarnations. It's it's almost like a, a pro wrestler gimmick where like over time you get like four versions of the Undertaker. Um but yeah, man, like, you know, all my friends know me as Hambone. I try to get away from it a little bit, but, you know, it's like Banner and the Hulk. You're you're, you're tied together forever. So, yeah, you can call me John, yeah. you can call me Hambone. I'm, I'm pretty easy. Gotcha. So um, for those that potentially might not know who John Hambone McGuire is, why don't you just tell us a little bit about yourself? So I am a game designer, uh, game writer, podcaster, musician. Uh, I've been a musician my entire life, pretty much. I'm 43. I know I'm 28. Thank you for noticing. Uh, but yeah, I mean, I, I've been I've been in various different forms of the entertainment business, the bar industry, restaurant business. And, you know, currently I am the co-creator and co-writer of 321 Action. I'm the bass player of a band called Secret Country. And I am the co-host and producer of the Vintage RPG Podcast. There we go. That's a little. That's a lot. You've been you've been doing it for a while, then, huh? Yeah, I've I've had my toe in the water of a lot of different things uh, over the last twenty or thirty years. So I've been around. So in the in the scope of all of that, um, when uh, when did teach RPGs kind of enter the fray, and then in, especially getting into like the teach RPG podcasting and all of that kind of stuff? So the vintage RPG. So- to, to bring it back a little bit, um, I've been playing RPGs uh, since I was 25. I got in there late because, you know, I, I got invited to play Dungeons and Dragons. It was, it was 1997, I think. And my girlfriend at the time told me it was either D&D or her. And I was like, because she didn't want her friends to know she was dating a nerd. And at that point, I was like, oh, I love her. And, you know, so we so I didn't play. I didn't play for a good number of years afterwards. But uh, but then I, I started playing and I completely fell in love with Dungeons and Dragons. I fell in love with RPGs. I fell in love with, you know, games. And it's it's something that I, I kind of felt was like the missing part of me for for a good portion of my life. And the person who was my dungeon master was one of now, I guess, one of my oldest and dearest friends. Stu Horvath, who is Vintage RPG. And right. Stu and I, I mean, we knew each other because we had a lot of mutual friends in the music scene. And Stu and I actually used to work at a record store together around the block from where we both still live uh, called St. Mark's Records. And, you know, that's just kind of how we knew each other from just being around. And we, uh, 
been playing D&D together for years. He started up the Vintage RPG Instagram. And out of that, after he did that for uh, a couple, he did that for about a year. I was producing a lot of different podcasts for to several different people. Uh, I just wrapped up the Mai Tai Happy Hour podcast, which I did for six years with my best pal, GLK. And, you know, I helped Seltzer Squad get off the ground uh, when they first started. I, you know, was working with a bunch of different things and consulting on different podcasts. And I was like, Stu, I was like, you should turn this into a podcast. Just turn the Instagram feed into the podcast. People would really love that. And he's like, I don't know. I don't know. But I, I made him do it. We recorded like four pilots till we figured out the formula. And even then the formula fully evolved over the course of a year. But, you know, he's been doing the, Inst- the vintage RPG Instagram for five years. We've been doing the podcast for four. Uh, he just wrapped the production on his book that MIT press is going to be releasing called uh, monsters, aliens, and holes in the ground, um, which is just the history of RPGs. Uh, it's not just D and Like he talks about, you know, like every kind of RPG under the sun he talks about, he talks with the creators of these RPGs, does interviews and just, it's a really great book and it's coming out next October, I think, uh, from MIT press. So uh, he literally wrote the book on RPGs, yeah. which is, you know, it's kind of fun. So started doing that, having a blast doing that. We've got a killer community uh, built around the podcast and around the Instagram uh, on our discord which is cool so it's kind of like you know pre when we jumped on the jumped on the air before we were talking about how you know we just social media is just a, a lot but like having a discord community and i know you know because you have a discord community right. it's kind of like the island a safe island where you can go to and you can just talk about the things you want to talk about and not have to just go into all of that right so right right so then, and you know, one of the things we're talking about is three, two, one action, which is your game. And that came out in, it was 2021, right? Yeah. 2021. So what, uh, in the course of, you know, like you said, with the podcast over the last four or five years with all of that and, and getting kind of deeper into the TTRBG scene, at what point where you're like, I'm going to make a game and this is going to be my inspiration for the game. So what was kind of the impetus for, uh, kind of getting three to one action going and, and turning into what it is now? The pandemic, um, the pandemic and, um, a lot of therapy actually, uh, I've always wanted to write. I've always wanted to write. I never had the focus. And, and there was times where I genuinely didn't have the focus. There was times when I got down on myself and made myself believe that I couldn't do it. Like, you know, I have been, you know, being a musician, being a performer, like, um, able to go out there and able to go put on a show and I've been doing it for decades. But when it comes to sitting down and like having to write something like I, I just, I just couldn't bring myself to do it. I would go George, the co-creator and the co-writer of three, two, one action, my partner uh, in the business. Uh, we would go to Gen Con. We would go to all these writer symposiums. I'm like, this is going to be the year. And it was never the year. And it was, it was years uh, before I actually did it. Like, you know, I, <laughs> I've told the story before, but like my, you know, my grandmother passed a bunch of years back. My grandmother's my number one special lady. And on her deathbed, like just try to wrap your head around this. You this is this is your special it's grandma. Grandma's a special people, right? You were there, you're having one last conversation before she goes. And she looks at you dead in the eye and she says, You need to write. And I was like, All right, now grandma, I'm gonna write about you. No, your future is in writing. Promise me, you need to write. And I'm just like, Well, no pressure, you know, because right. like this is this is the last thing you're ever gonna say to me. 
but you're telling me that I need to do the thing that I've been like kind of putting off and kind of like scared to do for so long and just to finally own it and do it. So it still took years. It took a lot of years, but like, you know, I, I, I worked through a lot of stuff in my life and I got to a point where I was like, fuck it. It's now or never the world has ended, you know, as we knew it, the world, it, it, the world as it was ceased to be for a while. So I was like, fuck it. I'm going to do this. And, and I can say, I can say the F word, right? I've been saying it. Oh, quite, fuck yeah. 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 Absolutely. Literally. Okay. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. I just realized I should have asked that before I came on, but, yeah, um, you know, I, I finally, I finally just did it, you know? And I, I played so many RPGs, been doing the show for so long. Now, to be a little point of clarity here, I don't know much about the history of RPGs. I just played them. Like, Stu is the guy. He wrote the book. But I, you know, I, I talk to him about the RPGs. I talk to different people. I try to play different different types of games. And, you know, I wanted to create something that was kind of an even playing field for everybody. Because I ran a lot of D&D and other other games throughout the pandemic like i mean i ran like chill i ran call of cthulhu i ran monster of the week i ran um i think i ran a Zweihander game one time i ran uh, honey heist and a bunch of other small little games like that uh and i ran it for a lot of people who never played rpgs before and the common denominator was the thing that prevented a lot of these people from playing RPGs was like, it was a barrier to entry because when they think of like dungeons and dragons and I'm not shitting on dungeon dragons, I love dungeons and dragons. We shit on them all the time. It's okay if you do. Yeah. But you know what? <laughs> like I, I, I try to be mindful that like, that's what someone loves and whether, you know, you're a, a veteran player who's played it for so many years and you see all the flaws you know, that's someone's, that's someone's thing. So I don't, I try to be excited for everyone if that's your thing, because I'm going to be your big cheerleader and, and support you in that. But, you know, the, the common denominator was that people saw the book as a hurdle because they like, we want to play this game, but like the book is 300 pages and, you know, I'm a dropout of college several times. Um, and like, I get these books and they're like three, 400, 500 pages. And I'd be like, I can never do this. But yeah, I'm in the player's handbook, you know, reading it and loving every minute of it. But I recognize that like, you know, everyone learns in a different way. Everyone experiences games in a different way. But the common, the, the floor of it all is like, man, that's a thick book. Yep. And also, you know, what I experienced, I'm a pretty loose dungeon master. But what I experienced a lot of these players was like, they had the idea of what they wanted to do and found the rule sets to be kind of limiting, but not for me because I'll let you do whatever the hell you want. As long as you hit a certain number, don't care, you know, because I want you to have fun to me that the most important thing is people having a good time. So, you know, I was doing that. I was thinking like, try this out. At first, when I first started doing action, George wasn't a part of it. George is my best friend in the entire world. Uh, we played music together for years. Um, been my partner a lot of weird like side businesses like we were fixing xboxes for a while like he was doing the work i was bringing the clients in because i don't know if you're familiar with the the old xbox uh 360s they would red ring so like mm -hmm. it was a constant problem for everyone we knew so i would i'd find him he'd fix him it was a thing um there you go. but you know i've also played game play D D with him from the time i started playing D D. uh so 
I started I started working on it by myself and I didn't want to bring anyone into it or do anything because I needed to prove that I could do it. So I came up with this rule set. I wrote what would become Escape from Point Nemo, right? And so I brought it to him and I was it was going to be like a D100 style system where you know, like, like essentially like a generic role-playing called Cthulhu style system. And he's like, well, you really want to make it easy for everyone. Yeah. Okay. He's like, well, why don't you drop the zero instead of a D hundred, make it a D 10. And I was like, yeah, I, that's, it, it made the most sense in the world to me. I was like, but you know, cause that's our dynamic. Like I got to push back and like, but it helped because, you know, he, he comes back, we go back and forth and we make magic. But I was like, but people like to roll different kinds of dice in the snack. He goes, he said, yeah, but like, you know, think back to those tables where we played with this one guy. Uh, great dude. However, he can never figure out which dice to roll. And like, in D&D, what's the dice that you roll more than any dice? The D20, right? <laughs> so it was his turn always. He's like, ah, oh, which one? I was like, it's the D20. Like, this is the one. You know, it's, and, you know, you don't have to roll any of the weapon ones. You just, you could just. He kept like looking down and seeing seven dice and being like, ah, this wasn't for me. So we were like, you know, well, what if everything ran off a D10? And George kind of came up with this concept of subtracting and adding where everything was kind of based off of rolling the D10. And I love the idea because, you know, everyone learns differently and everyone has a different kind of experience with the things that they learn and encounter. However, when you, and it's a broad generalization, I know, but when you go to school, you learn how to do your ABCs, your one, two, threes, right? So most people can count to 10. And so what we did with three to one action was um, we made the penalties and the bonuses a one, a two, or a three, either a plus or a minus, depending on what it needs to be. So you're only counting to 10 at max and adding and subtracting a one or a two or a three. There's no different modifiers for everything. There's no variations of like, oh, but it's this, but it's that, but this one does this, but this one does that. And like, no, you roll a single D10. You will add or subtract a one, two or a three. And you have to, and it goes, and that goes to the dice roll. And then you have to hit or roll below your stat. That's it. In combat, everything automatically hits. You know, you will roll to see what your damage is and subtract or add whatever the bonus or penalty is. And so the idea was you have six stats, like most role-playing games, but they're more all-purpose stats. Yeah, they're a little, it is a little different. It's like more four and two than six, kind of, even. Yeah, because, you know, the idea here is like, you know, you would say like Cthulhu, and I love Cthulhu. Again, I'm not shitting on anyone's game. Fucking love Cthulhu. However, bringing someone new into it, they see this character sheet with like 40 different things you could do, but you only have a certain percentile to do the things that you want to do, right? So what we did was the action stat is your basic stat. You would roll, uh, for most things, you're going to roll action, you know? And if there's something that is out of your purview that you think your character would normally do and you don't like the penalty... I'll say, hey, fill the plot hole in two sentences. Tell me why you can do this, right? So, like, you find a motorcycle. In other games, you're going to have to hope that you can roll a certain thing to be able to ride this motorcycle. 
Here it's like, well, uh, it's going to be a plus two to your action. Or fill the pothole in two senses. How can you ride a motorcycle? And the player will go, oh, well, you know, one summer I went to stay with my cousin and he's taking me out in the field and we rode dirt bikes. My mom hated it. Fun. You can ride a motorcycle. Huzzah. You know, that's it. Yeah. Uh, Keep it simple. I mean, when, so that's when I was first reading through to an action, like that, everything you're saying is exactly what it struck me as is like, this is a really, really great intro tabletop role playing game. Like, it's so, like, it's simple, but in like a clever way, not like it's not enough. Like, it's everything you need and in, and everything you can do with it. Like, there are bigger, more complicated games that, at their core, use the same things. It really almost feels like you took something like Call of Cthulhu and just stripped it down to the core of what makes it work, and then that's the system that you have. And it's it's clever, it's clean. I really enjoy it a lot. Um, what was the impetus to give it this kind of like um, like movie action movie kind of feel to it, other than like three, two, one, and like obviously like bits and pieces of it kind of it kind of falls into the story a little bit to go three to one action. Um, was that kind of, it just kind of fell into it or did you want to bring in this kind of just like movie cinema a bit to it? No, I, from the, from the jump street, I wanted to bring in movie cinematics. Um, I wanted to tell great stories. I, I had a lot of story ideas and, you know, my, my, my little sidestep to actually having to write a book is that I could tell these stories and give you the framework for the stories and then let you tell the stories. Uh, you know, one of the things that I fell in love with about art with RPGs is that like the communal storytelling aspect of it, you know, and trying to get people pumped that they leave the table feeling like they went to a movie or haven't had a good time. Like I do, I grew up 43. I grew up um, in the golden, to me, the golden age of cinema in the eighties and the early nineties. Um, and I love action movies. I love action movies. Uh, I love horror movies. I love all types of movies. And, you know, I just wanted to try to bring that feel and that excitement to the tabletop for people to play. Um, you know, like for, for me, especially, I think that one of the things that I've experienced in other games is the NPCs are kind of just there. They don't actually do anything. So we wanted to give the NPCs a little more vibe and a little more something to do. So in these three to one action ventures, you are essentially playing the movie. You're, you're in the movie. Um, and the NPCs are there to kind of fill in the story points. Uh, so you're going to learn about things on your own and then the NPCs are going to do the rest. Uh, they're there essentially at checkpoints or at the end of episodes, beginning episodes, they're there fighting alongside you, but they're not actually affecting the outcome of the combat. They're just, you just don't forget that they're there, you know? Right. Um, and they help the story unfold. Like you can still explore, you can still go your own way with it, but at the end of an episode, you know, this happens and that leads into the next thing, start of the episode, this happens, and then whatever happens in between is you and and your friends doing the thing. Absolutely. And then you continue that kind of simplicity throughout the entire thing. Like you said, so the it's D it's D10 roll under for everything, and at its yep. core the challenge is like one, two, three, basically you roll. If it's relatively easy challenge, just add one to your roll. If it's, you know, mid difficulty, it's two. If it's um, high difficulty, it's three. And you still just have to roll under the stat that you have. 
Yeah. Super simple, super easy. Like you said, the two sentences to basically fill in wherever you need, which as someone said in chat, like it's a great way to incentivize like emergent narrative. It's not just there, you explain all of these things, which gives you the ability to do things you're doing. Um, even down into the backstory where it's just like, I just want three sentences. Like I've been given, I can only imagine you, someone has given you like a 10 page backstory before. And you're like, here, read my novella. So you understand my character. I'm like, well, if you, if you write everything your character ever did and what they're going to do, you're not really like play. You're just like filling in the story you've already done. Right. Um, but with the three, this three sentence thing, it's really just at its core. Who are you? What are you doing? And then let's tell a story with that, right? Yeah. I, I mean, I don't think that there's any right way to play a game or right style of play. You know, I know that there's constant discourse where people are like, no, it's this, or no, it should be this. It's like, no, man, you know, or, or there's a good system or a bad system. It's whatever you are happy playing is the best system in the world. And if you enjoy that style of play, you're a player who likes crunchy, you're a player who's like, well, I like rolling percentiles and I like, you know, that I have to like do weird math for like these mechs or whatever. Dude, that's awesome. If you're like, no, you know, I want to roll a six-sided die and call it a day, that's awesome too. You know, I, I think to me, one of the greatest games ever created is Honey Heist. Like I think it's a perfect RPG and there's nothing to it. You're a bear, you wear a hat, that's it. Um, I'm not, you know, forget it. there's nuance to it. I know, but like that's at the core of it. Yeah. Like, you know, you play Honey Heist to be a bear wearing a hat and, and yeah. go on a heist. Absolutely. But I think that, you know, I think that's, that's just as valid as a game where the rule book is three, 400 pages. Yeah. Uh, what we wanted to do though, was we wanted to keep it simple because I also think it's important to give people the ability to not have their characters be forced to be so static by having this elaborate backstory. Cause you're right. You see, I think you summed it up perfectly. Everything you've done or will do it's, it's there. Like now, like, you know, you could become your character more by playing through it and having things happen and give them reason, uh, give them like things that are emerging from the scenario that, that really makes their characters whole. You know, another thing that we did was, um, you know, talking about the, the, the dynamic of rolling under the stat, we do luck points instead of hit points uh, because in a movie, what happens? You get beat up and things that should not work end up working because you get lucky. So you start with a set number of luck points, say like 20, right? Luck points are for things that make you bleed. Guts points are for things that, you know, cause you bodily harm. So if you run out of luck, you die. But if you make a, a roll where you're like, oh, I'm swinging from vine to vine, I slip. You look down, you're like, well, that's a lava pit. I could either spend three luck points to make my roll, or I could see what happens when I fall in this lava pit. So there are things that are going to fight you and attack you depending on the game, but also you are going to spend your own luck to be able to survive. It's, you know, So I've had people who come to the end of a combat with like one luck point left, but they didn't actually fight more than two things. It was just, they just rolled so poorly, but they, they knew the, the risk reward part of it. Um, also at the end of every episode, uh, which consists of three scenes, three or four scenes, uh, you get to roll a D 10 to get that many luck points back. Right. <laughs> I've had players who rolled well, did good in combat 
And by the end of the night, had going into the boss fight, had 40 luck points because at the end of the episode, they kept getting Because there's no max to luck points either. Because in a movie, you can keep getting lucky, right? right. So you want to push your luck, but not too far. Guts is for like twisting your ankle, falling down a flight of stairs, getting into a car accident, a really bad hangover. Things that won't necessarily kill you per se, but you rack enough of them up, you're going to have a problem. So uh, if your luck points run out, you die. If you get three ongoing guts penalties, all of your stats drop by one because it's going to be harder for you to do the things you want to do because you're beat up. Four guts penalties, you die. So there's two great ways to die. Three, two, one action. I So like we were saying, the game is, is at its core, it's very, very simple. But the luck mechanic, I, I think is the best thing in it. I love you. what you just said about the mix of... It's both your health and your ability to alter outcomes because yeah. anytime that you can put in like like uh, choice design into it and really give people this like reward now for risk later thing, it's just such a yeah. clever way to make people think about what they're doing and keep them invested in the system. I it's it's really enjoyable. I can't it's I can't say it enough. Uh, it's it's a great way to do it. And the fact that your, again, your health is a resource you're using on top of the damage you take is great. Now, since everything always hits, was there an inspiration to that? Because I know Into the Odd does kind of like a everything always hits kind of thing. Or is that just kind of what you want in the system to just be like, you're doing cool stuff. So we're just going to let you do it. And just it's more about the outcomes. That's kind of what it was. It's like, well, if you're going to do it, do it. You know, like there's there's no... There's no real, real reward, I think, to rolling to hit something, um, because ultimately, if you what you want to do is you want to do this cool thing, and maybe the cool thing that you're going to do doesn't necessarily involve like having to be in front of something hitting it. Um, you know, the the real thing is rolling damage, which which is the more important aspect of it. And honestly, if you so say if you have a a handgun that has a, a minus three. Which so the damage you could ultimately do with a handgun is one to seven points of damage, right? But you roll a two on your D10, then you effectively do no damage, and that's a miss, right? Um, and and that that gives it the more of a you still can miss, but you essentially you're missing because you're not rolling damage. Um, right. So you know George's brain is phenomenal. Uh, he is really paramount to the success of the rule set because you know i came out with a bunch of ideas and then going back and forth with him he tweaked a lot of stuff and so you know we, we initially had a a thing you had a roll to hit and then you know you rolled for damage but he's like you know you know we're, we're trying to make this really easy right we're trying to make this really cinematic why do you need to roll to hit you know right. if you don't roll enough damage you miss so we try to make it as elegant and as easy as possible so that's why everything runs off a single d10 um and also, you know, there's no initiative. You go as a group, you know, and yeah, you could totally fly solo. You could totally, you know, do your own thing. But if you want to do a cool thing with your buddy, like your buddy throws a propane tank in there and you shoot it, or like, you know, you want to do a doomsday device like the Legion of Doom or like, you know, fastball special like Colossus and Wolverine, you can do that, you know. Um, certain stunts are going to, you know, you got to roll but for the most part, like if there's damage to be done, you just roll the damage, but you tell the game runner, and that's what we call 
the person who runs the game is the game runner, um, what you want to do. And you make it so with one roll. And then, like you said, it's it's a great this great idea if like I imagine everyone just kind of being like almost talking through the almost scene where each round of combat can almost feel like a scene or a slice in it. And it's yeah. like as a group, we do all of this. So it's like, OK, you all want to do all this. These are the roles you have to do for all of those things. Let's see how the scene plays out. And then bad guys go. And it just keeps furthering that kind of narrative with the cinema that you keep going. And like you said, it's an action movie. How, the good guys make their shots good guys do the things that they're going to do yeah. and it's it's yeah um and without it to hit roll what there's the damage like you just said it just keeps it super super elegant you know you just yeah. do the one you get the things you go for it and it's great i mean i if you try to think about a way to put it to hit roll in there it it all it feels is like clunky and complicated you know what i mean versus how you have it which again clean streamlined um yeah i mean the idea Oh, forgive me. You go first. No, I'm sorry. No, 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 no. Go for it. The idea is what? Speed is king, right? In any RPG, speed is king. Like, you only have so much time to play. And clunky hitting, clunky trying to hit is just going to gum up the works. Uh, there's no initiative in 3 to one action. It goes good guys go first, bad guys go second. Unless it's a specified trap, uh, we do turns. We call them turns instead of rounds because, you know, when you think of most people's first gaming experience is a board game. So, you know, it's your turn, it's your turn, it's your turn. So good guys go first on their turn, bad guys go second on a specified trap. You don't have to roll to hit, but it, it does keep it moving. By taking out the roll to hit thing, everyone's turns go faster. And you're able to get through, like, you know, Rocket to Russia, you could probably get through in about two, two and a half hours. Uh, our one shot, any kind of one shot that we do that's not like a full adventure probably get through about an hour hour and a half and that's enough bite-sized gaming for people who are not able to sit at a table for four hours but they're still gonna be able to walk away with that great experience of like oh man we had a blast i got like so much done in like no time and then you know go tuck the kids in well like i said i mean into the odd the first time i sat down and played that and it's a similar it's similar in that there is no to hit roll like you just you do the thing you want to do and you just keep going the one of the things about that that shocked me first was just how fast it is like you just yeah. you go through and that's a little bit different because that game is uh, to me it's not a combat game it's it's an exploration game that has a little bit of combat thrown in so like the to hit roll not having it this feels different in that it's it's less about get through the combat get back get back to exploration and more about do the fun things you want to do in combat do the cinematic bits, do the cool action scenes, do the slow-mo, um, and then see the consequences and, and do the damage and stuff like that. It it I love when games mechanics continue this like almost like feedback loop into the vibe of what it's supposed to be like. And that's one thing that I felt reading through the entire thing is if you know you see three to one action, you know it's got some type of like movie thing involved with it and then everything you go through from the scenes to the way it works to to um even luck and all those kind of things it just continues to reinforce this vibe all the way through which to me is what really makes a great game is when you don't feel like like this bit doesn't quite feel like it belongs like i get why you put it in but it doesn't quite it just doesn't feel like there's anything the whole way through this that doesn't again just kind of feed that loop back in so yeah it's great yeah um, and I'm a little, I'm, uh, you're, you're much nicer than I am to some of the games. Um, uh, I'll, I'll shit on some games. Uh, I won't do it right now, but, um, I think one of the issues I used to run, I started with 5e, um, yeah. and now, 
now I hate it. But um, it's I used to run intro sessions. I started a meetup. I had a couple. I had like three hundred members in the meetup. We would do like biweekly sessions where we would awesome. I would teach new players how to play D and D. Yeah. Right. Yeah. It would. It's like a two two and a half hour process to teach five people how to play D and D and do one round of combat. That's yeah. it's a lot. And an hour and fifteen minutes of that two two and a half hours is just teaching people how to fill out the character sheet. Um. One of the things that it's a lot. I think one of the things that I think the discourse on it is kind of died down a little bit more um, is that D&D is a good intro game. It's really not like it's good from like a social perspective because people, especially now in with media and Stranger Things and all that stuff, a lot more people know it. It's more in the social zeitgeist. But as actually playing a game, it's not a great intro game. It's really complicated. Um, It's. Uh, the style of it is more like, let me tell you all the things you're allowed to do. And if I don't say you can do it, then you can't kind of style. Um, whereas, as I said before, this kind of game um, is, in my opinion, even for all of those people that might eventually love the crunchy bits and might eventually love rolling 18 different dice and stuff like that. Yeah. I feel like this is a great intro game that gives you all of those things in a very small, bite-sized, simple way. And if you were like, well, I really love the math and I really like that, you can be like, okay, well, here's a little bit mathier game. But as an intro game, honestly, this goes right to the top, like, probably two or three games that I would use yeah, to you. introduce people that have never played before. Okay. Yeah. Wow. It's, it's, it's simple, it's clean, it's elegant, and it gives you everything you want. Like every bit of tabletop role playing game you get from this in a simple way that just makes it easy to, like I said, start. And not even that, like, but it's not like this is just a gateway to like a bigger game or something like that. This is in and of itself a great game by itself, which is also fantastic. So I would honestly put this right up there with like one of my go to it, like intro games, honestly, is Maze Rats um, from Ben Milton. And one of the reasons I really enjoy that is the dice roll the same kind of vibe when you roll your 2d6 your damage is just what's left over you just roll the one time you know what i mean after yeah. you go over the armor and also ben milton writes for fifth graders that's who his play test audience is for is his fifth grade that's, class that's awesome. yeah yeah but outside of that honestly this is right up there for me um if i Dude. was gonna ever start a meetup again and introduce people to teach rpgs this is what i would go with um Dude, i, I- I can speak for myself and Gio when I say thank you. That is like the highest praise. It's a good game, man. And not only not only three to one action, you know, not we now have uh your your shirt says it a little bit, three to one horror Our is the horror business recently came out. Um the Kickstarter uh funded it was about a is it two weeks ago now that it yeah. that it wrapped yeah. up? Uh, about a about a week um, so you uh, you're doing something a little bit different with that one. Um, so tell me about the project that that just happened a little bit. So, you know, we want to try to keep things fresh. And when we started three two in action, we did Rocket to Russia, which was supposed to be a zine for Zine Quest. Then we goofed up and wrote like a hundred pages in change. And then uh, we followed that up with Escape from Point Nemo, which was uh, the actual story that you know I set out to tell. Um, 
And then George was like, hey, buddy, let's do a prequel for the zine quest. It'll be short, but it wasn't. And then we we wrote Escape from Point Nemo. And then we were supposed to do horror as the, the follow-up to uh, <clears throat> Escape from Point Nemo. Uh, but we did a uh, Kevin Saves Christmas, which was a Christmas adventure that we gave to all the backers for free. And then we did Grounded for Life, which is a pamphlet. And George was like, I know I'm in the process. He, he's writing the horror story. He's like, I'm in the process of writing the horror story. He's like, but he's like, I kind of want to do Mad Max. What do you think? I was like, you had me at Mad Max. And so we did a vehicle battle RPG. Uh, it's a full-on vehicle battle RPG. Uh, Children of Women would kickstart in the spring. It's going to be in the backer's hands sh shortly. But it is a... And it's a little bit of a long road before we get to hard, but it's going to be a, like, honest to God, you are kids in uh, 2060 Kansas. Um, the Amphicora from uh, Point Nemo have waged a war on all the coasts trying to take over the world. Um, there is a post-apocalypse kind of happening, and you kind of been left to your own devices. And so it's Mad Max meets the Warriors with teenagers and electric and carbon-powered vehicles. And you are like literally you're, you're fighting in cars, you're commandeering vehicles, all of that stuff. So it's it's an honest to goodness Mad Max experience. There are there's 32 playable vehicles in the game. There is six playable characters, 20 NPCs, all have their own stats, all have their own abilities. Um, it's like a full-fledged vehicle battle RPG. However, <clears throat> the rules for it are two pages. They just stack on top of the three, two, one action rules as they are, because we we don't want to create a thing where you need to learn a laundry list of new rules to be able to play a three, two, one action adventure. So every kind of new style of movie that we make, the rules will just nestle right on top of the rule set as they are. So there are vehicle battle rules for this. Um, and also we... We were gonna, you know, part of it we're giving people who back three, two, one uh, actions. Children of Uma was gonna be a bonus little zine for mini sub mania, which is now you fight in like these mini subs underwater, and that turned into a full book as well. So you're gonna get you're gonna get a bigger a bigger bonus book um, with this uh, as well. But finally, we were going to do horror in uh, the spring. Uh, George has got this crazy idea for a horror game. However, Zine Quest came back around. And I was like, this is a good opportunity for us to, to do a, an actual zine. So I had a, a, a story uh, called The Devil in New Jersey, which is a found footage horror RPG, um, which is something I, I mean, plenty of horror RPGs out there. I've never seen a found footage one before. And we have some horror rules, which I think it's going to be like a page of horror rules, which is like a final girl rule, which is going to be uh, a rule where this to determine how many minutes in real time the monster is going to take to show up, you know, stuff like that. Um, and it's not it's going to be a lot smaller in scope because like most horror is at its core, smaller in scope. Um, you know, when you think about uh you only have like three or four people involved and there's something chasing them or like a, a house with an entity with the family. Like it's, you know, that's why like when you look at the budget of a lot of movies, a lot of horror movies don't, you know, they don't need that same budget because there's no cars exploding. It's, you know, it's, it's you versus the elements or you versus something elemental or the house or a singular creature. Um, 
but that's that's what this is uh you know i love horror movies i didn't used to when i was a little kid i scared shitless um but i grew to love them and i kind of find horror as like my comfortable space uh especially with like you know over the last decade where you know the world's been going in the direction it's been going in the pandemic everything like i found solace in horror because i could either watch goofy ones that'll just let me shut my brain off and you know i'll be able to laugh and enjoy myself or you know that i watch really scary ones that like eh, you know shake me out of whatever anxiety i'm feeling at the time so i wanted to kind of try to relate that to you know i, I live in new jersey and I think New Jersey is the greatest state in the entire world and the best place to live on the planet. So I always try to bring things back to New Jersey. So it's it's the Pine Barrens, it's the Jersey Devil. Um, wackiness ensues. Uh, I actually used to live outside of Philadelphia um, on the main line. So I've had my fair share of trips to New Jersey. Um, we used to spend the summers in Sea Isle all the time okay. in South Jersey. Um, Jersey's a place. It's definitely very interesting. I'll say it's one of the interest, yeah. most interesting places I've ever been. Um, but with three, two, one horror and this like found footage style RPG, obviously you're bringing your core roots from Jersey into the game. The game still revolves around. It's still around teenagers, right? Yeah, yeah. It's uh, you play a group uh, of kids who have a horror punk band called the Burbalimes. And Riley, who's the main NPC in the game, um, his parents died when he was young. Um, there was a girl who lived next door uh, named Leanne, who, when he was getting bullied, because it takes place in uh, 1993. So, you know, he's getting bullied and people are just being cruel to a kid who just lost his parents. She was the only one who stood up for him. She's the only one who had his back. And through the years, became like his best friend and they drifted apart when they got to high school the night before prom uh in 1993 her and three other kids go missing and it turns into this whole thing so he's getting chased about a week later by the bullies stumbles into the woods um which people in the town he lives in this a fictional town called Hellridge, are really forbidden to go into the woods like you just don't it's just a thing you just don't do but he he stumbles into the woods trying to escape these bullies he finds a handheld video camera and he opens it up and he sees a, a video in there that says prom night and he you know takes it because he's like well maybe it's like some weird porno someone made that in the town or whatever um but he pops it in and he sees these kids who went missing in the woods and he he watches he watches it and ultimately the last shot is he sees Leanne getting dragged into the woods by what looks like the Jersey devil, you know? So uh, it starts off with you and your friends having to call your parents. You got to make charm checks to call your parents to convince them that you are staying at someone else's house that night. So you're, you're, you're setting it up and you have to sneak into the woods after dark and you got to try to, you know, you're using the found footage to locate the spots where the kids were on the course of their night before they went missing to try to find them because Raleigh's like, look, Leanne's the only person who ever had my back. I have to have hers. And if there's a chance I could help her, I will I have to do this. So Riley's the NPC. Uh, you play members of the Burbaline, you're a horror punk band with a bunch of kids in 1993. And you're trying to find uh trying to find this missing girl. 
So it's different. It's different than the normal fair where you find like a bunch of automatic weapons around an island and have to fight fish people, you know? Right. Yeah. A little different, a little bit different. And what, what's the, um, was there a reason between children of Uma and, um, Devlin, New Jersey, where, um, the, the, the teenagers are the core, or is it just the story you wanted to tell felt best as those at that age where they're like, you know, burgeoning human beings and stuff like that? Um, was there a specific, um, like, desire to tell a story from a teenage perspective, or did it just kind of happen between both that they just felt like the right way? Uh, a little column A, a little column B. Um, you know, one of my favorite things in the world is uh, kid adventure movies, you know? Uh, you can't see it off screen, but there is like an autographed Monster Squad poster, like right, right off screen. Uh, you know, I think that <clears throat> there is this thing that resonates with a lot of people, especially, you know, people who are older in gaming, where like you had this moment, you remember being a kid where like the whole world was in front of you and you're willing to take risks. You're willing to 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 do what you got to do to survive. And also like you have that spirit still in you. It's not, you know it's not been beaten out of you by the, by life yet. So like, you know, like the, the kid adventure thing is great because, you know, there's no, it, it, I think it really plays well with the concept of action because there's no like, well, maybe I shouldn't do that. It's like, well, why the fuck wouldn't I do that? Like this, this is what we got to do. We're going to get the man together. We got a plan. Let's go. Um, but that's, you know, that's, that's a, it's not always going to be kids, but you know, it's 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 kind of more fun to play as kids, to be honest with you. Um, Rocket to Russia, you're a, a wet works team, essentially sent by the U.S. government to an island. Um, Escape from Point Nemo, <laughs> you play uh, people in their mid twenties who are, and some people who are older. You got you have a, the captain of the ship is fifty two, if I remember correctly, um, and you're a documentary film crew going to film a documentary that runs afoul of this island. Um, Grounded for Life, which is a solo play adventure, you play Captain Gale's grandkid and have to break her out of a nursing home for one last adventure. Um, the Hotel Exorcist, which is a solo play pamphlet adventure, you're playing a dude in his mid-30s who is, his job is to go to hotels, motels, bed and breakfast, and excise the unwanted guests. So, you know, it's, the, the two, the, the big thing that we did was all, it was a kid adventure, but this one is also just, it kind of writes itself as a kid adventure. Yeah, I mean, the story in itself just, I mean, because there's, it's a very different adventure when you're teenagers or prom night and stuff like that going into a woods than when you're a group of adults chopping through the woods. I think the, even the concept and the idea of not knowing what's out there as a teenager yeah. is much scarier and bigger and open than when you're an adult. Um, so yeah, I, I think it's a, a, a great idea to, to put it as kids because imagine something like it's horror, but there's still action um, and adventure kind of feel to it. Maybe I'm completely wrong, but that's how it, how it feels a little bit. Yeah. But I feel like if it's all adults, the, the adventure almost kind of goes away and it kind of lends a little bit self towards more horror because I feel like the like the wonder kind of disappears yeah. a little bit because you can still have wonder in horror. I mean, the Goonies had some scary parts. That's so not I mean, you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, but uh, so that campaign just recently ended. Um, yeah. Do you but you still have Children of Uma going. You now have yeah. this going. Do you have plans for something after this even? Or are you taking a break to get those two things out before? Or is yeah, it just going to be continuous? 
we're always working on something. Um, <clears throat> but like, you know, as things happen, the cool thing, you know, a lot of people I think have this misconception of RPG companies. Like, like, you know, like, I, I live in a basement apartment. It's adorable. You can't see it all, but it's very well decorated. It feels loving and cozy, but like, I'm not and George is not like, we don't have staff. It's just me and George, you know, just me and right. George and the artists we hire, the editors, we, the editor we hire, uh, shout out to Megan. She's the best. Um, our layout friends, cheese and, uh, everybody like, you know, most RPG companies are one or two dudes doing most of the things themselves. Uh, right. and there is the aspect of it. That's a lot of work, but it also the grace of being able to pivot. If you want to try something else or do something else, or like, you know, you may think you have something in the pipe, but you realize that you'd be better suited, allocated your resources and time to something else. We can do that. That's why like at the end of last year, he's like, Hey buddy, I want to do something to give back to all the people who backed us the first year. Let's make it Christmas adventure. That, we did. We just gave it to everybody um, for free. And now we're going to update it a little bit for the end of the year and put it up on drive through RPG um, for money. <laughs> so uh, we're going to do that. Um, we were going to do another book with all the solo play adventures because we had more solo play adventures um, in the pipe, getting ready to, in the pipe, getting ready to, to go. But uh, the scope of children of Uma and the scope of mini submania became a lot bigger. Um, so we kind of needed to focus on that. Uh, and then the Kickstarter popped up out of nowhere, like ZineQuest. They're like, we're going to do it again in February, but we're going to do this now. And I was like, you can't pass something like that up because especially when you're right. a small creator, like when an opportunity drops in your lap, you have to be able to take it. So um, we're on the fence whether we're going to kickstart his actual horror book in the end of October. Um, okay. We might push that back to next year. Uh, but even with that, we're still planning on just doing a quick little update of Kevin Saves Christmas and releasing that in like November. Um, we're, we have a couple other small ideas. Uh, you know, we make the rule book free uh, in PDF form forever because we want people to have access to it. We want people to play it. Uh, so now that we have some horror rules, now that we have some vehicle rules, now we have a couple other things, uh, stealth rules. Um, that's another thing that we introduced in mini Submania. Actually, it's, I'm going to come back to that in a minute, but we, we got stealth rules now. And so we're going to add to the rule book, which is going to continue to be free, but we have to get the layout adjusted. So there's, there's still going to be kind of updated releases towards the end of the year, but yeah. we're on the fence of which the next Kickstarter is. Uh, so two things with that one, how smart is uh, it? It's, from a business perspective, it, I think it's so clever to have the core rulebook just be free all the time. Yeah. I mean, you know, on our show, one of the scores that people have questioned, I think, more than anything is we always do uh, a value score. Um, and our my rationale for adding value is something that we score a book by is it's it's an accessibility thing. If your book is too expensive, I can't play it, you know. Yeah. And if you leave the rulebook free all the time... You know, it's kind of like like you can play Apex and Fortnite for free, but people are going to buy the DLCs and stuff like that because they want to add on to it, right? It's just it's yeah. good business model, um, but it's also great just to to get it out there and get people excited about it before you do all these other releases. Um, the other thing that I think was was really interesting is we're only in like August of 2022, unless I'm completely crazy. This came out the first original rulebook came out in 2021, if I'm not mistaken, right? 
So yeah. everything you just talked about, like Children of Uma, um, Devil in New Jersey, all of these um, uh, solo pamphlet adventures, uh, Point Nemo, all of those things have come out in, what, less than about a year and a half? Yeah. I mean, you guys are, like, chugging along, which is crazy. Especially when you said it took years and years and years to even get to a point where you could sit down and write and put it out. And do you feel like there's just as years of backlog is just like dumping out now that you have this thing that you can bite into or, or, you know? Oh yeah. No, I have a, I have a vampire story that I've wanted to tell for years. And I want to say, um, I was on a trip. It was me. It was, uh, George's wife. Um, and a few other, other friends. I mean, this is like a decade ago at this point. And I kind of came up with the story on the fly and I just never, I never, I, I tried to write it several times, but I never did it. And I'm like, well, I'm going to get to that eventually, you know, so we got to get this other stuff out. Um, also like, you know, like working with your partner, like George is like, is his brain is like crazy. Like his brain is like just always firing on all cylinders, very thoughtful. And so when he comes to me and he's like, Hey buddy, I want to, I want to try something else instead of like what we're doing. I'm like, fuck it, let's do it. Like I would rather, especially having been in music for years, I think it's important to go with the ideas that people are really excited about in the moment versus trying to, you know, reconfigure something that you're just, that, that isn't there at that moment. Um, so the rule book initially, like my my lofty thing was the rule book. Uh, I always wanted it to be free, but intended on it being in every single game that we release. So if you just bought one book, you'd always have the rule. So if like you know, if like well, action wasn't your thing, but horror is, or like the heist game will be, you always have the rules. Uh, as an independent publisher, you find out exactly how much that cost, and you cannot really do that uh, because like. I mean, everything, so I, I think, you know, he and I got into publishing at the absolute wrong time because everything was expensive, the supply chain issues. Yeah, it wasn't, so it, it just wasn't feasible to be able to do that, uh, every book. Um, because I think it's important that everyone has access to the rules. So the compromise was, well, we'll just, we'll put it on drive through put it on every site. It's free, free forever. And if we keep updating it, the PDF will always be free because we want people to play it. Um, you know, look, you, you could, I'm sure there are copies of Point Nemo floating around on some site that probably shouldn't be on if people get it for free. What can I do? You know, uh, it is what it is. However, I think that us giving you stuff for free, like the rule book, uh, there's always going to be pamphlet adventures that are going to be free. Uh, there's another free pamphlet adventure coming out soon um, that like you have the option to play this and maybe you can't afford it right now. Cool. Play it tell your own stories, have some fun with your friends and become a fan. And then when you can, you will, you know, I can't, you know, I, I want people to buy this. I would love for this to get big enough that I can get off of social media and pay someone to do social media and, you know, make enough money that I can keep making books. That's, that's the goal. Um, you know, and I say I a lot because I'm, I'm doing this interview, but I, I can't stress enough. Like, how I am not the only one who does three, two, one action. It's me and George, but I'm the one that ends up doing the interviews. But like, you know, we don't ever mistake my eye for, for not being we. It's, it's everything we do, we do together. You know, we're even, uh, even Stevens in this. Um, but like, especially coming up in music, I think it's unrealistic to think that people aren't just downloading your shit, you know? And 
whatever. What are you going to do? Uh, but but yeah. But one of the things that you just said is if someone downloads something you did for free and then falls in love with it, the odds of them then becoming a fan that wants to support you increases. So you can't Metallica Napster everything. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, so having the rule book always accessible, always free, especially in the digital world, especially in 2022, especially yeah. like you just said, with uh, I think anyone in this scene or anyone that has any hint of this scene understands or back to Kickstarter the last like two years understands that the, the publishing, printing, shipping, all that stuff is just fucked. Um, Fuck. And, and some people really like digital. I think digital is really accessible for people, especially with screen readers and some other issues. There's a lot of ways that it that makes it super accessible. I, just having it always on drive-thru RPG is just good business model. A lot of the biggest games out there right now in, in the indie scene, if you look at things like Merkborg, Mothership, those like that, those games really, I think, one of the things that helped them blow up as big as they did is because they su they supported their community so much. Yeah. And always having the rulebook free, um, I, I think pretty much anytime anyone backs like one of the Kickstarter tiers at all, they, they'll get it anyway, right? It's just like a download yeah. or access to it anyway. Um, yeah. It's just a great way to support your community. It's always a great way to reward them and then to create a fan out of it. Um, so uh, regardless, it's it's a great way to do it. It's a great business model. And I hope it blows up. And I hope that you never have to do Facebook ever again because, yeah. you know, yeah. I hope we could all just like, never I, have to do Facebook again. But, you know, it's 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 it's, it's exhausting because that's the other thing. When you're an independent creator, you're also solely responsible for the success of your thing by like constantly putting yourself out there like I remember like being in a band, you know, years ago, like pre pre internet, and it was just like, well, you would have to do interviews, you'd have to get in scenes, you'd have to do like whatever this and that. But like, there was a point where, all right, I gotta go to band practice, we're gonna go do this show, I'm gonna do this interview, and then I can just go back to band practice. But now it's like you have to constantly be engaged. It's like, hey guys, my band practice. It's like, it's this 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 constant. Um, and it's something I struggle with. Like I used to, to be quite honest, uh, I was on, if you look at my backlog of Instagram, I was a traveling salesman. I was a musician. I was doing all this shit. I was constantly engaged, but I felt, never felt lonelier in my entire life, you know? Um, but working through a lot of stuff, I realized that like the people who I really needed to see me, had they see me. And so I was, I started breaking away from being so active on social media because I'm like, you know, the people who really count the people they 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 see it you know and you know as i started breaking away from it the more i was like god i don't fucking want to do this i don't want to promote i don't want to be like hey guys you know like you you see me when i do my ham Motor friends interviews i i do interview a lot of independent creators because i have a Absolutely. decent sized audience and i feel like it's important to elevate other people and give them the shot to talk about their thing you know but i'm like oh it's all a hand bone here and blah, blah 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 and it's great and i can do that still but like the constantly having to engage and just be on Twitter and to be on Facebook and to be on Instagram grinds me, man. It, and and I know it grinds a lot of other creators too, but just, this is the cost of doing business. Um, but like, you know, going back to the rule book and stuff and people like playing it, people buying it. Um, you know, I think with PDFs, especially the one downside to a PDF is that when you when you have to constantly, it, go back and forth in places to find different things. It gets hard. It gets kind of jumbled. Um, so 
having to run things off a PDF definitely informed the way that we design our books. So now when you are in a section and you are like a monster pops out, right? So there's no, you know, there's not going to be a bestiary anymore or bestiary. I've heard it both ways, but it's not going to be like, you know, well, now I got to like scroll back up in this PDF and keep jumping back and forth. Now it's like, okay, so here is this encounter and you're going to fight this monster. Well, now I just have to scroll up one or two pages. The monster's right where it is in the section. Uh, it's also a great way to spread your art out in a book, uh, you know, when you're because art budgets are what they are. And like, this is a good way to spread out your art. Um, in Uma, we have it like, so if you're in an encounter where you're going to fight an enemy vehicle, it's going to be there within like one or two pages of the section that you're at. Because, you know, we talk a lot about accessibility in RPGs. I love... And I, I've actually, I've learned to love them more when I've actually had to run more games than I produce games now, uh, the physical book, because you could just kind of flip back and forth. But even in a physical book, it's cool to just be able to have to go back a page or two to find the thing that you're looking for. Um, and, you know, and so, so it's, you know, we're, we are re-releasing Rocket to Russia, um, a, sh a shorter version of it as a PDF um, and as uh, a physical book because we did a tier with a hardcover tier in the Kickstarter where you could get a physical copy of a hardcover copy of all the books. So Derek Kinsman um, is a wonderful dude who did the layout for the first book. Uh, he's relaying it out, but we're taking the rules out. So it's going to be like a little bit of a thinner book because the rules are everywhere for free. We don't need to put them there now, but he's like, do you want to try to reconfigure everything? I go, no, we're just going to leave this one as it is, but every book after the monsters are where they need to be. And also with the PDFs, like, I kind of think it's bullshit to charge people extra for a PDF when you bought the book. So we do have PDFs for sale. However, if you go to Exalted Funeral and you buy any three to one action product, you will also get the PDF with it. You know, um, it might not be the same if you find it in a store, but like if 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 we sell you this book, we want you to have the PDF. You know, um, you know, certain, certain I, places as small creators, we don't have the ability to dictate that. But, you know, if you get it on the Kickstarter, you get the book and you get the PDF. You get it from Exalted Funerary, you get the book, you get the PDF. Because um, they, they're the ones that really, they distribute most of the books for us. So, um, I mean, a, a couple of things that you just said. First of all, like the PDF tools, I, anyone that watches our show regularly knows that hyperlinks are going to be my legacy. I've, I've got three or four books or three or four different creators have reached out to me and be like, I put hyperlinks in the book because I heard you wouldn't stop complaining about people that don't have it. Um, PDF accessibility in 2022 is huge, like you just said. And um, being able to just flip that one page or whatever, or being able to have a link that goes where you need to go is huge. And again, one of the things you just said, it's not just about the PDF access. If you actually have the book and it's there, um, and you can just flip back a page, that's going to be so much better than having like, let's have this book and then let's have this book and let's have this whole other book. And it just says, go to page here, you know, go to page here. So it's great to hear that, like, even just thinking about the way that the digital book has changed the way you think about, um, accessibility within it, but that also translates to the physical book as well, which is, is, is fantastic. Um, and the cost thing, I, without saying anything, there was this project that came out not too long ago and I was super excited for it and it was average priced. And then the PDF was also the same price on top of it. Um, and I was like, I'm not, 
backing this project. I think it looks great. It looks absolutely beautiful. And they're like, well, we want to make sure that people know that the PDF is its own thing. And it's like, it's not. It's the exact same book that you've already laid out that we're paying for. It, it doesn't make sense. And that's one thing I love about Exalted and a lot of the other small publishers that um, that put things out like Reading and Taddy and stuff like that. Um, but Exalted especially has a policy that's pretty much just like you, if there is a PDF that exists for the book, when you buy it, you get the PDF for it. It's huge. Again, it's 2022. Some people I love sitting down, like if I'm on break at work, I love being able to just like pull up a book and just like read through it right on my phone if I need to. I love being able to like pull out my iPad or something like that. I got three screens in front of me right now and there's always at least one game up on it. So it's yeah. great to have the PDF accessibility. And, but also, you know, holding a physical book is never going to get old, you know, flipping the pages yeah. and feeling those kind of things. So uh, I, I, it's again, uh, another kind of, I don't know, tip of the hat. I don't know how to say it to, to the way that you guys are supporting yeah. your business and your community to, to continue to push these things out to people and to, to help support that. It's, I mean, it's, you're doing a great job. I mean, it's, it's noticed it's appreciated. And I, I, I hope that, and I think that the, the um, indie RPG scene kind of has this kind of overall sense anyway, that the more, you can't fight Hasbro and Watsy. Like it's it's this yeah. monolith, right? Yeah. So the best thing you can do is support your community and that's the best way it's gonna grow. And I think you guys are doing a fantastic job with with three to one action and, and a community that surrounds it. Yeah, I mean it's you know, we, we, we grew up playing punk rock, you know, and if you don't treat the community with respect, how could you get respect in return? How can you get that love back in return? And also like, you know, we got in with DIY aesthetics and understanding like the importance of like, you know, like I, I don't think that any, you know, any independent publisher worth their salt um, can succeed without understanding the DIY ethos, right? Ethos. Uh, I've heard it both ways, but you know, it, it really is handy when it comes to like having to do everything, you know, yourself and then hiring the people to do the things you can't. Um, you know, we would be nothing without the artists that we work with. We'd be nothing without the people who do the layout. Like, we would just be two dudes, like, trying to tell these stories. Uh, the reason the books look so good is because we get great artists um, who we love working with. And we have great people doing the layouts. We have, like, people who, like, see what we're going for, and they appreciate it, and we love working together. Um, but no one no one succeeds on their own. And I think that's a, a, a big takeaway that I – I had from like, you know, playing years in clubs and in bars, like, yeah, you did this, but like, it takes a lot of other people to get you to, to dance, uh, as it were, you know, I, like I've, I would love to write for wizards, write something because it's a feather in my cap. It's kind of like, you know, if you're a pro wrestler, you want to go to the WWE for a cup of coffee, because you know, this is, this is something that you, you grew up with and it feels cool to be able to do it and say you did it. But like, it's not, my goal is to really grow action. My goal is my goal is to really like, you know, to to tell these great stories. I I just did a, a work for hire job for uh, <clears throat> Necromancer Games. Um, I don't know if you're familiar with uh, Planet X, uh, Levi Combs. Oh yeah, uh, Act, I backed the whole Phylactery and everything. Yeah, the, the he is big guy Chungus. We got the whole thing. Big guy Chungus. Uh, I do the voice <laughs> for that. I do I do the voiceovers and the videos for his Kickstarters. Uh, he's my awesome. friend. Uh, he was a mentor to me coming up in the um, coming up and doing this. And, uh, you know, he hit me up and he was like, do you want to write a Halloween 
module for uh, Necromancer. I was like, fuck yeah. So it's like, you know, I'm writing, I'm writing a, a 5e, I wrote a 5, we co-wrote a 5e adventure. Um, and that was cool. That was good. Something that I always wanted to do was write like a 5e or a Dungeons and Dragons, as it were, adventure. And so I did that. But then like, you know, he's going back to doing the flactory. I'm going back to doing three, two, one action. But one, th one thing I want to say is that, and the, the thing we call it, it did, it's called Heresy of Ra. It really is a nice little Valentine hammer horror. Uh, so that, I think that's going to Indiegogo this week. But one thing I want to say with the DIY thing, I think it's also very important to share knowledge and to not be territorial about sharing your knowledge with people. Um, because, so I, I used to, I used to consult, I, I would get paid to consult on podcasts as like a little side hustle. Um and now I'm like, eh, I'm kind of retired from like podcasting. I just do the vintage RPG podcast. So if someone hits me up, I'll help them. You know, I if, as long as they're not, as long as I, I don't feel like they're like an asshole, and that's the key. If you're cool, I'll I'll, I'll bend your ear. I'll talk to you about whatever. People hit me up about game design now. And I'm like, yeah, man, just just do a Zoom. I'm not charging people for it. Uh, there's a, a podcast called Chiller Chiller Queens, which I think is a great name for a podcast. Um, these women just hit me up at my podcasting website and they're like could we pay you to to walk us through some stuff i go nope i'm just going to tell you because it's important to share knowledge because the knowledge that you share you are going to get back tenfold from other people in the community uh because even if you feel like and i don't feel like i know everything i don't i know a fraction maybe of what everybody else knows but when i share people share back and i learn more you know so my success Georgia's success, action success, uh, as much as it is the people that we get to work with, it's also the people who I was able to reach out to and ask questions to before we launched our first Kickstarter, before we printed our first book, before we did that. So, you know, it's important to keep the DIY spirit alive and to not be an asshole. Thank yeah. you for coming to that talk. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, that's one thing that we've noticed a lot with this podcast. I mean, I started, I started our podcast as a way to... God, I back too many Kickstarters and I have so many books and I just want to really get a chance to dig through them and like force myself to like sit down and really dig into these things. And we started with that and it's just been an incredibly welcoming scene. Like there's people like I still like if, if, if LeBron James walked down the street, I used to live in LA. It's like, cool, that's LeBron James. But when we're talking about being like, oh, we got John McGuire coming on the show. We got Adam Vass coming on the show. Like I get this like, all right. That these are the celebrities that make me go like, let me take a breath here. I gotta, I gotta be prepared for this. I gotta brag to my wife that we got, we got someone coming on the show. Um, and what's interesting is I've had people reach out and just be like, Hey, like we're just people. And a lot of us, like you said, we have jobs, we, we're regular, whatever. We just make, you know, these games on whatever. And, um, it's something I'm still getting used to, uh, that people are just regular people, not just my heroes. Um, but the scene is, it is, I feel like it, we, there is a, you know, the good parts of the community are really good. And a lot of people do kind of have that like DIY and and kind of like knowledge sharing. The number of people I've been able to reach out to and just have chats with, yourself included, has just been fantastic. So like you said, it's it's really important. And I'm really glad that at least the the little bubble of the scene that I'm involved in has has really embraced that um, and really pushed that. So it's, it's been really enjoyable um, kind of coming into it because we've only been doing this for, I don't know, it's, le it's what, worth... I think this is going to be episode 40. Um, it's it, We're newer than a lot of people, and it feels great to to kind of come into exactly what you just said, the kind of atmosphere 
um, that you're trying to develop. So it's been fantastic. Yeah, I mean, look, everyone, no one's actually cool. Like, if you if you really want to break it down, like, there are people who you, like, think are cool or, like, they have the vibe that they're cool, but, like, no one's actually cool. Like, me, like, I am a simmering teapot of anxiety who is trying his best not to fart in front of strangers at all times. <laughs> like, no one, no one is cool. Like, you have, like, the air of coolness or, like, someone has the air of coolness is fine, but, like, real cool is acknowledging other people in the community. Real cool is answering people's questions and being friendly and being nice. And yeah, like, yo, there are people in any scene who are going to try to big dog you and whatever to each their own. No grudges held. But like, for the most part, man, like, you know, whether you're, you're starting out 40 episodes in, whether, you know, you're 200 something episodes in and out of the show, like it's even footing. It's just people doing their best. And that's, that's all you could really ask for is just people be, be kind um just be, be, be cool you know that's what yeah, cool just be cool just be fucking cool like that's it's yeah. just not hard just be fucking cool you know so um so three to one action we've already talked about you can get it for free all the time on drive through rpg um where else you know can you get all of the things that you've done in the past year and a half i know we talked about exalted a little bit but it, would that be the primary place that people can find all of your stuff yeah, I mean, if you're in Wisconsin or if you order from Noble Knight, uh, Noble Knight has uh, some copies of uh, Rocket to Russia and Escape from Point Nemo. Um, a lot of the the smaller things like the pamphlet games uh, are only on drive through or itch uh, because and, – and what – the reason why the pamphlet games are taking a little longer to come out is because we were making two versions uh, for each game. So you have the print-and-play version, which you could – print and play uh or if you're looking at on a tablet we have a reader version so like a pamphlet you know like right. page one page two page three page four page five page six on the back so this one is just one two three four five six so it makes it easier for you to read along and play so um digital stuff go to uh drive through rpg <clears throat> or itch if you're an itch shopper physical stuff check out exalted funeral or hit up noble night games so people are, are people are going to itch. What what is your uh, handle? I guess we call it on itch. Is it just, is it three twenty actions? Is it John McGuire? Three twenty action games. Three twenty action games on itch.io, which is fantastic. And honestly, if you're in this scene at all and you don't know Exalted Funeral, you're missing out, and your paycheck is going to be very much spent uh, if you jump onto yeah. there. Because I can tell you, every Wednesday I dread the uh, new items in stock email from from yeah, uh, Exalted Funeral. I'll tell you yeah. what. Yeah, it's it's tough, you know, and and that's cool, man. I, I I'm a firm believer in uh, all boats rise, you know. And mm -hmm. every time I see something new coming out for Exalted Funeral, I'm like, this is this is cool. Like these are these are people like me who are just like have these crazy ideas, and they're working with some badass artists. And yep, Funeral Camp, yep, mine's yeah. folded in the drawer. Uh, but like you know, it's it's exciting, you know. It's it's exciting to to see other people create stuff and to see other people do like, cause that's someone else's dream. Like you're actually seeing the physical manifestation of someone else's dream. What's cooler than that? You know? So yeah, it's yeah, the funeral. Um, yeah. It's a very costly habit, but it's a good one. Yeah. You know? They're good people though. And I'll just keep buying. And you know what? Here's the thing I found. If I just keep buying books, we'll never run out of episodes. That's what well, I have. That's I'm how I've kidding. settled in my brain. It's true. And I've also been encouraging people too to like, go go in on a game together like and money's tight for everybody right but if you think about like you want to have a good time with your friends you're looking for something new to do 
well, like if the game is like 30 bucks, everyone just kicks in a few bucks because you don't all need to have it in your collection because you're only going to play it once, you know, yeah. but you, you know, you all kick in together. Then it makes it more cost effective for you to play these games together, especially when it comes with like a big daddy Hasbro book. That's going to be like 50, $60. Yeah. Um, and another 20 for the PDF. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Like, but uh but yeah like you said accessibility i mean accessibility is just a huge part if i can't afford your game i can't play your game so uh you know it's yeah. huge yeah um but listen i can't thank you enough for coming on the show i know that um uh and i've said this before we, we originally started talking and i just assumed that the uh, devil in new jersey was going to run for 30 days and it was two weeks when we yeah. scheduled this so i really wanted to, to be able to push the push the game a little bit but regardless of that I, i'm i'm so happy that you came on um that we've been able to touch base and stuff like that it's been a real pleasure talking to you i know you've done a ton of interviews that i've watched on instagram i don't know if it's any different actually being interviewed versus interviewing um but it's been a, it's been a pleasure it's been really really great talking to you uh, it's, it's 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 cool it's cool to be on the other side of it for once I, and i yeah. i appreciate you uh, on a saturday morning after work sharing your time with me and just you know being inviting me on to do your show so thank you buddy i appreciate it thank you um so those that are here and if you're listening to this either way again I don't edit very much on my podcast, so you get it raw. Um, this is going to get cut together. Hunter and I, um, after I take a nap, because as we just said, I just got off work, we're going to wake up tonight and actually go through the 321 Action rule book, um, dig through all the rules that we touched on here, um, you know, luck points, the the D10 roll under system. We're going to dig through that entire thing, go beginning to end on the rule book, um, which, you, again, is always going to be free on DriveThruRBG, so go check that out. Um, and, uh, and yeah, so... If you were listening, not right now, continue listening because that'll be on in just a second. But again, John, thank you so much for coming on and I hope you have a wonderful rest of your day. Appreciate it. Bye, everybody.